Welcome to the GMH Podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Are more arrests expected after threats were made at Hamilton schools? A Muslim family was killed in London, Ontario one year ago today. The OMA wants the new Ontario government to make some health care upgrades. What's next for Ontario's NDP and Liberal parties? Tesla employees must return to work or else. And downtown Hamilton will host a free outdoor concert series this summer. The GMH Podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast. Podcast on 900 CHML. Last week, several schools had to deal with threats, which were investigated by Hamilton police. And a couple of arrests have been made. Should we expect more of them in the days to come? Constable Indy Barrage is with Hamilton police and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Constable Barrage, thanks for the time today. How are you? Great, great. Uh, thanks for having us today. How um, is I... how is this investigation going and, and is it ongoing? Uh, yeah, it's ongoing. Uh, as you said, uh, last week was a hectic week, uh, to say the least, uh, for all. Uh, police, schools, even parents and students. Um, police with the investigation, schools trying to make a decision if they should remain open or not. Um, both police and schools work trying to figure out how logistically we can keep staff, students safe. And uh, parents and students having to make the difficult decision that uh, shouldn't even be had at the dinner table or even the household. Uh, should they go to school or are they going to feel safe sending their kids to school uh, and if the kids are going to be safe when they're at school. Uh, as you uh, already know, uh, many of the schools uh, through Hamilton received these threats, a lot of them referencing Friday, June 3rd and uh, as the follow-through date. And uh, we can say that the threats were uh, unsubstantiated. We know that on Friday, Westdale High School, just across the street from the radio station here, did end up closing on Friday. Was that a police recommendation? Was that a school board decision? How did that come about? That was a decision that was made on the school board side. Uh, all we could do on our side is that uh, we can, we're can. we trying to remain as transparent as possible and provide as much information to both schools and parents and students alike, uh, just so they can make an, an informed decision as to uh, how they would feel comfortable following through. Um, yeah, and that's where we're at. Um, Hamilton Police continue to investigate these theories of threats that were made towards uh, 10 different schools throughout Hamilton. And uh, we understand that uh, Friday, June 3rd, come and gone, but uh, the investigation is going to continue. 10 different schools. Um, I, I know school threats are nothing new, but having 10 of them in a span of a week or so, that seems a little concerning. Yeah, uh, we, we don't know what uh, what's the, what brought this about. Um, the initial one was not the, I think it was the Friday prior to the last, uh, with Bishop Tonus Catholic Secondary School receiving a threat, and uh, nine schools followed. Uh, the last being uh, the one on Friday, June third, where uh, uh, Churchill Secondary, uh, sorry, my apologies, Sherwood Secondary School received a threat, and that being the tenth school. Well, we know that a 19-year-old man is facing charges in connection with one of the threats made, a 14-year-old girl also charged with mischief. You mentioned Bishop Tonus and a variety of other threats at other schools. Uh, are arrests expected to be made in most, if not all, of these cases? That's what we're hoping for. We're going to continue to work with the school board. Uh, so these 10, these 10 different instances are being investigated separately uh, because they did span throughout the city, our uh, our are different divisions, they're being investigated by our criminal investigations branch from those specified divisions. Um, and uh, we're hoping to uh, see more arrests in the upcoming days.
So is there no connection between any of the threats? Can we can we say that? Yeah, there's nothing to indicate that at this time. And that's why they're that's why all these incidents are being uh, investigated separately as well. I know there was some anecdotal uh, information that was being passed along, and I'm not sure if there's any credibility to it, is that this may have been a TikTok challenge or something to that effect. Is is there any uh, nugget of truth in that? Uh, nothing that we've seen. Uh, there's nothing on social media that we've come across to indicate this is uh, some kind of a social media challenge uh, being brought about our youth. What's your message to students uh, within the school system here in Hamilton? Just uh, we recognize the the importance of school safety and that uh, these the threats of these nature are difficult for both parents, students, staff, and their families. Uh, police are going to take these extremely seriously and are going to continue to work with the school board to identify these uh, individuals responsible for laying these, uh, for putting these threats forward and putting fear uh, amongst uh, Hamiltonians. And uh, we're going to, once identified, uh, we're going to be laying uh, appropriate criminal charges. Constable Barrage, thank you for keeping our city safe and thanks for the time this morning. Enjoy your day. Thank you for having us. That is Constable Indy Barrage from Hamilton Police as they continue to investigate uh, several school-related threats in our community. As you heard, a couple of people have already been charged, a 14-year-old girl, a 19-year-old man, and they expect more arrests to be made. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Millions upon millions of Canadians making a choice to step up as allies, as friends, as community members saying, no, we are going to speak up and stand up for a better today and a better tomorrow. That is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau saying all Canadians have to stand up to fight racism and Islamophobia as we mark the one-year anniversary today since a Muslim family was killed in London. And here to talk about it is Fatima Abdallah, the Communications Coordinator with the National Council of Canadian Muslims. Fatima, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. What did you make of what the Prime Minister had to say yesterday? Well, you know what? Um, today marks the one-year anniversary of, of, of the attack in, in London, and, and that night changed our world forever when, when four members of a Muslim family um, were brutally terrorized on the streets of London, Ontario. Um, it, it forever altered the relationship that Muslim communities have with Canada, and and we know that it is up to us to turn that remembrance into action. Uh, we've heard the Prime Minister call for it numerous times. We've heard premiers and and and, and municipal leaders call for change. Uh, and, and now is the time for us to see real action, for us to see real tangible policy change. So, is it safe to say, or is it fair to say, that politicians, at least in their words, are doing enough? I I don't want to to say that, uh, but what I can say is that in the last year we have seen some positive um, steps forward in, in in the right direction in in uh, implementing changes that uh, we have called for at a national action summit and recommendations um, at all levels of government, including the federal, provincial, and municipal levels of government. We've seen municipalities across Canada, including London, uh, St. Catharines, and and uh, the Halton region, uh, as well as Toronto, implement all, if not if if not most. Uh, of our summit recommendations. We've seen provinces, including British Columbia, uh, pass anti-Islamophobia strategies. We've seen uh, education systems and, and the school boards 
uh, implement ed- education reform, um, in, including the Peel District School Board and, and Thames Valley. Uh, but there's still so much more work that needs to happen. We need to see uh, a national action plan uh, to combat hate and Islamophobia. And that's what we will be calling for uh, today at our National uh, Advocacy Day out that Parliament Hill in, in Ottawa. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Fatima Abdallah, Communications Coordinator with the National Council of Canadian Muslims. Uh, There was a somber ceremony in London, Ontario yesterday. Uh, There's going to be a prayer service and a vigil held there today. Uh, There's also going to be a plaque ceremony. Uh, How is the Muslim community dealing with this one year later? What are some of the thoughts and some of the things that uh, Muslim people are doing? We're, We're still reeling from this. Um, and, and we're remembering, we're commemorating today is about the family, today is about the victims. Um, but what we can say is that uh, we're still going to be fighting for, uh, um, for justice. We're going to be, be fighting uh, for change and, and we won't stop uh, until we've ended Islamophobia. And that's our duty, that's, that's our duty for the family. Um, and, and that's our duty to, to all the victims of, of brutal Islamophobia. Um, but one year later, we are commemorating, we're getting together, communities across Canada um, are, are organizing visuals and walks, uh, and, and if anyone is, is, is looking to participate in a walk that is near them, um, we've set up an, a, a website at nccm.ca slash London Vigils. Uh, where they're able to um, see what walks are happening in their neighborhood and join on and, and complete the walk that the Arlen family had started. Now that the Ontario election is over, where does the Our London Family Act stand? Do you think it's going to be reintroduced in uh, in Queen's Park? We have heard the commitment from Minister Paul Glander at the end of last session that um, that the, the, the government will be reintroducing it. So that, that's what we're pushing for and that's what we're calling for. Um, and throughout the last elections, we had heard uh, party leaders um, from from the Ontario Liberal Party and Ontario New Democratic Party uh, commit to um, passing the Arlington Family Act. So what we're calling for is, is, is for the, the immediate pass of, of, of this act. Uh, we're calling for the government to pass it in the first 100 days of, of, of office. How do you think this act will change things? Uh, it, it will. It, it looks at Islamophobia in, in, in six key areas, including um, addressing uh, anti-Islamophobia strategies in, in the education system, uh, as well as uh, implementing anti-racism councils and directorates, um, as well as uh, implementing uh, and combating hate at, at the provincial level. And you mentioned education is the key, and, and you um, uh, referenced what Peel Region is doing in terms of mm-hmm. tweaking their education component. Yeah. Is that one of the main factors in, uh, you know, uh, addressing this issue in future generations? I believe so. I believe so. I believe that the first way to, to combat anything is, is to, to begin with education. Um, and, and that is why we, are, we always address it and we always uh, call for more. Uh, we've seen Peel District School Board implement an anti-Islamophobia strategy and, and we've heard uh, British Columbia uh, implement uh, education reforms in, in their provincial um, strategies to combat hate and Islamophobia and, and we're going to continue to fight for uh, more education systems and, and more school boards uh, to, to reform their, their curriculums to, to include uh, an anti-Islamophobia strategy as well as uh, just a strategy to combat systemic racism. Fatima, good luck with the Arlenden Family Act and getting that reintroduced and finally passed. And uh, thank you for joining us today. 
Thank you for having us. That is Fatima Abdallah, Communications Coordinator with the National Council of Canadian Muslims in London, Ontario today. There will be a prayer service and a vigil, a plaque ceremony as well. As one year ago, a family of four was uh, hit by a truck as a man was deliberately targeting them. And that 21-year-old man now faces four counts of first-degree murder. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, the dust has settled. Doug Ford's PC party winning an overwhelming majority in last week's provincial election. Well, now what? And in particular, from a healthcare standpoint, now what? Well, the OMA, the Ontario Medical Association, has a five-point plan for better health care in this province. And here to talk about it is Dr. Rose Zacharias, the president of the Ontario Medical Association. Dr. Zacharias, thanks for joining us once again. How are you this morning? Good, thank you. Good morning. The uh, OMA releasing a prescription for Ontario, a five-point plan for better health care. What's the top priority in this prescription that the government should address? Our top priority is catching up on the backlog of procedures and surgeries that people in Ontario are waiting way too long to get appointments for. We know that the pandemic, um, while dealing with the crisis of COVID, which was no one's fault, it was you know, required at the time, all hands on deck, really, uh, to deal with the crisis of COVID, but it has put us in a precarious and difficult and critical situation. People are waiting way too long for their hip, hip surgeries, knee surgeries, cataract and hernia surgeries, as well as the diagnostic tests to screen for cancer, mammograms and colonoscopies, and just the routine school-based immunizations for kids and and so many things. And so that is the number one priority. It's clear that Ontarians have said that, and that's uh, that's what the Ontario's doctors are are pressing upon the government uh, to get uh, to get things done there. How long are some of those wait times? Are we talking months? So we know that clearing the backlog for example, is going to take not months, but years. So there are people in the queue right now waiting for their knee surgeries. And on average, people should wait, you know, a couple of months for a knee replacement surgery when their arthritis has got to the point where they used to be able to walk and then maybe with a cane, but now are in a wheelchair because they cannot, because of the pain, um, walk. And so we know that right now it's going to take 38 months so three years uh, to get caught up on the knee replacement surgeries that are currently in the queue. And you can imagine for one person, one family, just even the mental health and stress overlay that that um, also involves is incredibly difficult. It's really just wrong, actually. So how do we cut that wait time? Is it just hiring more doctors? So hiring more doctors and um, building into the healthcare team providers, not just the physicians, but the nurses and the physiotherapists and the social workers and the pharmacists, healthcare providers are experiencing burnout at an alarming rate right now. So yes, we need a strategy to invest in the people that are working hard inside the healthcare system. However, we have a very clear uh, plan. We call it our five-point plan. It's our prescription for Ontario. And there we outline key recommendations to catch up on the backlog as well as address the other gaps in the healthcare system. For example, with regards to catching up on the surgeries, we talk about freestanding publicly funded centers that are associated with the hospital, but essentially where people would walk in 
have their appointment booked for that hip or knee surgery, and then that same day be discharged to their home and have a nurse or follow-up care provided in their home. It costs much less money, it's uh, um, less complications, and it provides better care. So that's one of the recommendations in our prescription for Ontario. The OMA also calling for expanded mental health and addiction services, improving and expanding home care, strengthening public health and pandemic preparedness, and giving every patient a team of health care providers and linking them digitally. Uh, it all sounds great. Can this all be achieved in four years? So we're talking about a roadmap for the future. We really need to rethink how we deliver health care. We've been stuck in a model where traditionally people come to the hospital, even the emergency department, with, for example, mental health issues. There are more people now suffering under the strain of depression, anxiety, even other mental health issues and addictions. And and those uh, very vulnerable people in their very difficult state are coming into an emergency department. And we need to think about team-based, publicly funded mental health services in the community so that the, the health care comes to where people are at. And so that is going to take some time. We're talking about three to five years if these recommendations were implemented. And, and now we are excited, really, and hopeful to work with the new progressive conservative government that was elected to uh, implement these recommendations. Well, there's a lot of heavy lifting that is going to be needed, but uh, Dr. Zacharias, uh, you and your team at the OMA certainly have a roadmap in place. Let's hope that the government can follow suit and help along with that heavy lifting. Thanks for the time today and enjoy the rest of your day. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That's Dr. Rose Zacharias, president of the Ontario Medical Association. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, after a major defeat in last week's provincial election, what is next for Ontario's NDP and Liberals? Kim Wright is the principal and founder at Wright Strategies and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kim, good morning. How are you today? I'm um, well, thank you. How are you today? Not too bad. Um, maybe we'll start with the PCs. They have the best story to tell, I would think. <laughs> they're they're bigger than ever. Um, do you think the Tories thought they'd win as many seats as they did? Yeah, I think they. I think they thought uh, they had some shots with some splits, um, voter intention, but also how how various uh, ridings were doing their their GOTV ex- efforts get out the vote especially with such a low voter turnout, that was really incredibly critical. I'm not sure they thought they were going to, the the PCs thought they were going to lose in Haldeman Norfolk, uh, which has now elected its first independent uh, MPP, but uh, that will be an interesting dynamic. But the PCs have a challenge of caucus management uh, that we'll talk to, talk to about uh, in days and weeks ahead. Uh, having a caucus that large means a lot of egos to manage, um, and and how they how the premier's office will manage that will be a big challenge for him uh, going forward. You mentioned Bobby Ann Brady in Haldeman, Norfolk, the independent um, MPP elect. Uh, was this a surprise? Uh, I mean, uh, there are very few independents win on election day. It, they very few do, and even fewer win as. Uh, first-time MPP. We've seen in the past where someone was uh, an, an MPP and then decided to run as an independent. Oftentimes, as we saw in Hamilton East Stony Creek, that didn't work out for Paul Miller. Uh, but in this case, uh, Bobby Ann uh, winning as an MPP 
first out of the gate. It was pretty surprising. There's a lot of internal dynamics. Uh, she had been around for 20 plus years uh, working for MPP Toby Barrett. Uh, and so it's a really fascinating backstory, but one that the Premier's office is going to have to figure out how to manage, again, that caucus management, uh, how to keep people on, on the happy side of the government. Uh, that that will be a challenge for them in this uh, new supermajority that they have going forward. Kim Wright is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kim is the principal and founder of Wright Strategies and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. The NDP ended up with 31 seats. They're now in search of a new leader as Andrea Horvath stepped down. Uh, thoughts on the NDP campaign and who will be the next person to carry the torch? Well, the the who will be quite interesting, and first we'll have to choose an interim leader. And again, caucus management will be key. Uh, they've got some new MPPs in their caucus. They've got some returning folks, uh, and how that they will manage being the only official uh, party within the legislature that will be a challenge for the new interim leader uh, to to manage through. Their other part will be, uh, there's some names, obviously, that are floating around uh, MPP, Mart Stiles from Davenport, uh, Mike Mantha from Algoma, Manitoulin, uh, Catherine Fife from Kitchener-Waterloo, There's and there'll be a few others uh, out there as well. Uh, but really, one of the things that I find extraordinary, and I worked for the previous leader, Howard Hampton, the... Uh, the place in which the Ontario NDP is in versus when Andrea Horvath took over uh, you know, 13 years or so ago uh, is very different. They have lots of money in the bank. They've got a great groundswell of volunte- volunteers to work with. They've got a, a cadre of MPPs uh, who are really interesting and dynamic. And, and so Andrea Horvath has left the Ontario NDP in a very good footing for moving forward. And again, being that one official opposition party in the House uh, gives them more strength to build on over the next four years. One of the big questions in Hamilton is, will Andrew Horvath run for mayor? Any insight into that? Well, look, they, everyone's got until August 19th at 2 p.m. to figure out what they're going to do to, to run for mayor or council. And uh, Hamilton is uh, one of my favorite councils just because it is just a... Uh, so, so controversial. <laughs> We're going to call it dynamic this morning. That's a good word. Um, but uh, there's lots, there's lots of really interesting things that councils can and do uh, accomplish. So, uh, if Andrea wants to go back to her roots on uh, on Hamilton Council, but this time as mayor, I think that will be a really interesting uh, fall election. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Kim Wright, principal and founder of Wright Strategies, and uh, Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca could only muster one more seat in last week's election. What kind of leader should the Liberals elect to the position? Well, ideally one that could win their own seat. Uh, that really does become your biggest challenge. If you can't win your own seat, if your community uh, says, nope, we're not ready for you to come off the bench yet, um, that that becomes a, a very large challenge. The Liberals have, a, have the reverse uh, problem that the New Democrats have. The Liberals have no money. They have very few staff. Um, they, they do not have official party status for the second time in a row. Uh, that's very damaging to what is often referred to as the natural governing party of the liberal brand. 
uh, they can't they can't seem to to pull those those election victories out. And part of that is the complacency of being in government for as long as they were. They they forgot how to do some of the grassroots advocacy work. They you know going and talking to your neighbors, building community. That became a big challenge. They also, frankly, they did some really uh, silly shenanigans during the election campaign. Uh, you you may have seen uh, they brought out a chicken suit uh, to to call out the government for not going to debates. Um, those things are really goofy in politics and always seem to backfire and, and, and scream of a desperate campaign. So they're going to need to find somebody both as an interim leader um, who can manage their their caucus and their agenda and keep them on the front page of the news? But more than that, they're going to have to do an entire rebuild of their party uh, and figure out what comes next, and that's not easy. Kim, always appreciate the time. Thanks for waking up with us, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Yes, Elon Musk. E L O N has told his employees they must return to work or they'll be gone. Can he do this? Is this, is this allowed? Fiona Martin is an associate at Semfiru Tsumarkin LLP and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Fiona, good morning. How are you? Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me this morning. Yeah, thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, as you heard, Mr. Musk says his Tesla employees must return to the office for at least 40 hours a week or else. Can he do this? Yeah, I mean, so technically, at least for um, Tesla Ontario employees, he can force them to go back to the workplace if the arrangement with Tesla prior to the COVID-19 pandemic was to work in the office. So, yes, technically, if the employee refuses the request to return to work, uh, their decision could be seen as, as either job abandonment or a resignation. Now, that said... If an employee can't return back to the workplace setting as a result of a medical condition or um, a childcare obligation, and the employee has, has shown that they've made re- quote unquote reasonable efforts to look for childcare alternatives, in that situation, Tesla would be obligated to accommodate that worker's rights under the Human Rights Code, including allowing them to work from home. Um, but if, like I said, if the arrangement prior to the pandemic was to be in the office, uh, technically Tesla can allow them to, uh, can sorry, force them to come back to work. Musk said, if you don't show up, we will assume you have resigned, which you just alluded to. How, mm-hmm. um, how messy could this be? And can an employee just say, listen, I'm not 100% confident in what Tesla is doing in the workplace to keep me safe from COVID? Can that be a legitimate excuse? So generally speaking, general concerns about contracting COVID-19 wouldn't be reasonable enough for an employee to refuse to come back to work. Um, that said, you you would be required, like you, if you can provide a medical note saying that you're particularly susceptible and your doctor still feels like you can't return back to the workplace. Um, in those situations, Tesla would have a duty to accommodate, but just a general fear of COVID-19 wouldn't usually be enough to trigger a, an accommodation to allow you to work remotely. Um, a bit of a caveat to that is also if Tesla hired you during the pandemic and the understanding is that you were being hired into a remote position, 
um, in that situation, Tesla wouldn't be legally able to force you return to return back to work. Um, if that's the case, you may be able to to treat it as what's known as a constructive dismissal. So this would only apply to Tesla employees who were hired before the pandemic began. Yeah, before the pandemic, or even if you were hired, um, yeah, hired before the pandemic, and like the understanding specifically was that you would work in the office because there are, I'm sure, some Tesla employees that were hired pre-pandemic that were hired into a remote position. If all of a sudden um, a term of their contract was to work remotely and they're now being asked to go back into the office, uh, that would not be permitted. Fiona Martin is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Fiona is an employment lawyer and associate at Semfiru Tamarkin LLP. Uh, Tesla, as we know, has about 100,000 employees. Uh, at least that was the number by the end of last year. And we know that they operate in the U.S. as well. Are there different rules for Canadian employees as opposed to American ones? So I, I can't, unfortunately, necessarily speak to the American rules. I suspect they're somewhat similar. Mm. Um, just in terms of if there's a part, you know, understanding or a contract between two parties that you're to be in the office and there was a bit of an exception during the pandemic to allow you to work remotely, I would suspect that now that the pandemic is kind of subsiding and people are going back into the office, that the, the employee would be obligated to abide by the terms of the original contract that allowed for them to or required them to work in the office. Is Sam Firo Tamarkin still taking a lot of calls from employees who don't want to go back to the physical workspace and, and think they have, you know, an, an argument? Uh, we, we're still seeing a, a, a number of them. I mean, it's obviously not as high as it was way back when in 2020, um, 2021. But there are still some some people who have concerns about returning back into the workplace, um, particularly from, from a medical perspective. I just want to switch gears and talk about the right to disconnect because we know as of June the 2nd here in Ontario, mm-hmm. we became the first province to mandate a right to disconnect policy in the workplace. Any mm-hmm. workplace with 25 employees or more have to have uh, a policy in place. What should employees and employers know about this? Um, that you, I mean, that you have an obligation. Employers should certainly introduce policies if they haven't already done so um, with respect to the terms of the policy and employees should know that they have a right to legally enforce um, their rights under the policy, including um, filing a complaint uh, with the Ministry of Labor. Is there also going to be or should be a line item to say, hey, in the case of an emergency and we really need you, this policy doesn't apply? Is that going to be standard? Um, I, unlikely. I mean, that would that would technically be contracting out of legislation, uh, but I'm sure employee, employers will introduce some sort of policy. We, we could see that. Um, whether or not it's legal is, is a little bit of a different story. Uh, technically, it be, could be seen as contracting out of uh, the legislation. Yeah, the, the term emergency can be some gray area there, too. Of course, yeah. of course. Fiona, always appreciate your time. Thanks for waking up with us this morning, and enjoy your day. Thank you. You too. That is Fiona Martin, associate at Semfiro Tamarkin LLP and an employment lawyer. You can get more of the Employment Law Show Sundays at noon right here on 900 CHML. Tesla, by the way, uh, according to Mr. Musk, 
has and will create and actually manufacture the most exciting and meaningful products of any company on earth. This will not happen by phoning it in. <laughs> well, of course it can't. You can't phone it in or mail it in and not produce the most exciting and meaningful products on the planet. Uh, Musk also said that Americans are trying to avoid going to work at all. Well, I mean, if you don't have to and you don't want to, sometimes you just don't. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Here's an exciting venture. It's a free outdoor concert series, and it's coming to Hamilton's downtown core starting next month. Garrett Lajoie is a marketing coordinator and instructor with Hamilton Music Collective and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Garrett, how are you? Hey, Rick, I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Tell us about this uh, free outdoor concert series. Yeah, so we're running a new uh, concert series this summer. It starts on July 16th. Uh, it's called Eclectic Local, so we've been doing some some shows throughout the year. We just came off a successful run doing uh, Jazz at the Gasworks downtown. But we have this beautiful outdoor space uh, out back, and we decided we wanted to do something uh, for the community and, and give back a little. So it's a free series, and we have uh, some genres sort of across every corner of the, the musical spectrum. So we have some hip-hop, we have some indie rock, uh, we have some great uh, classical as well. And um, yeah, it's really going to be uh, accessible, lively, and uh, something that the whole community can enjoy. The first show kicks off July 16th. Where is this all going to take place? Uh, it's at the Gasworks downtown, and if you haven't been, it, it's tucked in just behind Cannon Street, um, between Cannon and Mulberry. So it's just a couple of blocks from James Street North. It's uh, it's a beautiful place. They actually just went through a $2 million renovation a couple of years ago, and so the place is, is remarkable. They have a, a beautiful theater inside, but as well, there is this porch outside, which acts as, a, uh, as an outdoor stage, so... It's a, it's a beautiful place, and the shows are, are Saturdays uh, from 5 to 6, so you can come by, see a free show, and then uh, explore downtown. If you haven't been back out in the community um, since COVID, if you haven't been seeing those shows and, and checking out uh, our, the great talent we have here, it's a great opportunity to get back out and then, uh, yeah, come back to downtown Hamilton. Pretty cool time to do so because you can invite people downtown, uh, grab a quick concert, then go for a bite to eat, and then maybe do something afterwards. It really opens up the possibilities uh, for for downtown uh, businesses as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, we're really excited about it. And uh, July 16th, we're starting with uh, Paolo Leon. So he's uh, he's a rapper, producer, and he's bringing his DJ Malaz as well. So it's going to be a really um, accessible show for all ages. And then on July 30th, we're, we're flipping the switch completely, and we're having classical guitar and violin performing uh, tango, actually. So it's going to be eclectic really is the word. There's something for everyone here. Absolutely. Garrett Lajoie is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. He's with the Hamilton Music Collective and the Eclectic Local Concert Series kicking off July 16th. It runs through to September 24th, and as I mentioned, it's free, although there is a fundraising component to this. Yeah, so the Hamilton Music Collective is actually a registered uh, charity. So we run the An Instrument for Every Child program, which you may have heard of. So we've been running that program since 2009. And basically we provide uh, free music lessons and free instruments to kids in schools. So um, we're across 15 different schools right now, and it's a totally free program. Uh, I'm actually one of the teachers as well. So uh, I, I see these 
adorable kids learning ukulele and piano <laughs> and trombone and it's it's really a sight to see so when you support a, a concert series like this you're also supporting the program like that that's a true win-win are you guys hoping to make this an annual event we are we are we'll see how it goes this year but we've done uh we've been doing shows inside the building at the gasworks for several years now and with this new space outside we think uh there's no reason not to uh do it year-round Great stuff, Garrett. Really appreciate the time. Good luck with this series, and hopefully we see it uh, from years to come. Thanks so much. HamiltonMusicCollective.ca if you want to check it out. Awesome. Garrett Lejoie, Marketing Coordinator and Instructor with Hamilton Music Collective. Again, the Eclectic Local Concert Series kicks off July 16th. It runs July 30th, August 13th and 27th, and the last two shows, September 17th and 24th. HamiltonMusicCollective.ca for all the information. And did I mention... It's free. That's awesome. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.